We're in Romans. We're beginning at chapter 3, verse 1. Remember the last verses we talked about uh, who is a true Jew? And Paul said it's the one who's in the spirit. He said, if you don't keep the covenant and you're circumcised, that as far as God concerned, you're not in a covenant. And the Gentiles didn't have the law that lived righteous by their conscience. He considered them Jewish because they kept the law in their conscience, the moral law he's talking about. As we've said before, every human, until he blasphemes God or hardens his conscience and spirit, he knows that certain things are wrong. He knows to murder, adultery, lying, stealing. They don't have to be taught. They know this is wrong, and this is what he's talking about. If they don't have the written law of Moses and they keep it in their heart, then he considers them a Jew, spiritually, in covenant, a different kind of covenant. But the Jew who bragged about being circumcised and special, like the Pharisees, Jesus called them, he said, your father's devil. He said, why? Because they were circumcised and honored the law outwardly, but they broke the law. They didn't keep his law. They laid aside the word of God for their tradition. And he said, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Well, they couldn't. So Paul is making it plain. The outward means nothing unless the inward complies. So this is what he was talking about. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart or the spirit, not by the letter, the outward form, the law of Moses, which could not change the spirit. They did not have Christ indwelling them as we do. He did not live in them. He had different requirements for them under a different covenant. And so he permitted certain things, lesser things. The Gentiles, he said he winked at certain things they did. It means he didn't hold them strictly accountable for certain things. He, he held off on his judgment. He understood they didn't have full knowledge of certain things. So God is fair and just and merciful to all. Even the wicked nations, as we've said, when Joshua is going to destroy a certain tribe or nation, God said, you're not to destroy them. Their sin is not full. So God is just in dealing even with the wicked nations. He does not arbitrarily judge people. He doesn't get whims. He doesn't say, oh, I think I'll do this. He has wisdom, love, mercy. That's his nature. And so he looks at the truth that people have and judges accordingly and the availability. So many, most humans, Jesus said, love darkness rather than light. They don't want to come to the truth, even if they hear it. So when they are judged, God judges them as if they heard the truth, because at times it was available and they rejected it regardless. It's sort of like, what I don't know doesn't hurt me. And back in the 40s and 50s and 60s, it was common practice uh, a lot of times that uh, family and doctors did not want to tell people that they were dying of cancer. It was sort of considered not to do this. Well, we don't want to scare them. We don't want to upset them. And then the person often didn't want to know. So he figured if I didn't know, it won't hurt me. Well, it doesn't change the facts, does it? It does hurt you, even if you don't know it's there. So we see God's principles. He's righteous in judgment in all people. He's no respecter of persons. And we see that the 
Jews were given special privileges. But all in all, God is not a respecter of the individual. So as we see, if you were circumcised and you were under the law of Moses and the form and the ritual, and yet you were an adulterer, you were no better. You were worse than a Gentile who was not an adulterer. And see, the Jews perverted so much that way. That's why God said you lay aside the word of God for your own, as we would say today, for your denomination, for your book of order. Well, they don't mean nothing to God. They don't, uh, people cancel out God's word and instruction, elevate certain scriptures out of context and think they are better than God is. But they're going to find out it don't work that way. So in verse 1 of chapter 3, the question is, after he's talked about being a Jew and Gentile and the consequences, then what advantage has the Jew? What advantage over the non-Jew is what he's saying. Or what is the benefit of being circumcised? So the people would ask the question, uh, what's the difference? Well, what good it was being in the Jewish covenant rather than a Gentile who had no higher covenant, what was the good of being circumcised? Well, he said, well, if you keep the covenant, you are of great standing. So, see, because he gave more privileges, we're going to see. Promises. Verse 2 explains that. Great in every respect, he says. Paul is telling us he was a Jew of Jews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the law probably better than most Jews did. So he's saying it's an advantage, not over the gospel, until the gospel. See, it was the highest form of God's revelation. It was the highest form of covenant until the gospel came and fulfilled the covenant and was superior, and a better covenant. So he says, in every respect, it's good that you're circumcised if you keep the law, if you're in the covenant. So he says, first of all, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. Okay, we see that. The word of God, the advanced knowledge, the revelation. We see in every way, you are more blessed than the Gentile nations. Number one, you Jews were given the law, the instructions as how to be blessed by God and not cursed. Paul said the Gentiles were without hope. Well, people, again, run too far with this. Uh, he winked at them. He looked at their conscience. They had hope at me, but they didn't have the hope of the law, the promises and special privileges that were given to the Jews and the Jewish nation that was faithful to him. So we say they were given not clear instructions and promises as clearly as the Jew was. They didn't have the knowledge. They sat in darkness often. So that's what it means by with hope. A lot of people try to make it, well, they were totally depraved. The only people who are totally depraved are those who are dead and in hell. Angels are totally repraved. Man is not. Man's worse until he blasphemes the Holy Spirit. There's hope for him. God's long-suffering with most people throughout their life shows you there's hope. It's that he gives them opportunity to repent, to change, so they're not totally depraved. 
only the person, like I say, who has blasphemed the Holy Spirit and resists it to the point his conscience doesn't bother him, we could say uh, he's without hope. But very few would know it but God, where he's at, okay? And so even the Gentile had hope. He believed before the law, and when the law came, some of the righteous Gentiles and other nations that never heard of the law uh, or the covenants, he still tried to follow his conscience. So he was not without hope. The Bible says considered him righteous before God. As we said before, even before the law, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then to Joseph, God was beginning to lay down the form of his covenants and bring the law about. Yet at that time, in somewhere in Arabia, Job was living during Joseph's time. And the Lord said there was none like him in all the earth as far as personal righteousness. He was better than those in a higher form than Jacob or Joseph was. So see, God is not a respecter of persons. He says, according to the light that Job has, he's righteous. He's lived very well. And as we said, the king Josiah, the scripture says, there was no king like him. And that's referring to David and Solomon. And he said, and no king after him. Until Christ comes as judge and king, he was the best that Israel had in personal righteousness. He didn't fail or fall to the extent that David did. Now, David was forgiven and continually punished as a consequence, but he was smart enough to take his punishment, take God's punishment, where Saul was not, and where Solomon was deceived at the end and given over to idolatry. David did repent. David took the consequences and acknowledged his failures when God confronted him with it and tried to make things right and accepted his punishment. But we see this king, he was just very good and righteous according to the law and according to the principles he'd had. And that's why we said, Jesus said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. There are some people, and even in the Bible, we may consider very great. But God may say, I know someone greater that's not known by the public. So he measures the intent, the motive of the heart. He knows all of this. So there may be people who are up there with Paul and Job and some of John the Baptist. They may be first. And people of the world and even the true church may say, well, who is he? And they say, well, he served me. He wasn't popular with people. He was unknown to a great degree, but he was faithful in what I gave him. See, so God judges these things. That's why Paul said, I don't even judge my own self as far as work. He said, at the appropriate time, God will bring all things into the light. Oh, he said, this God will take care of that. See, because he only knows his own heart to some degree. Even David said, search me, Lord, and see if there be any wicked way in me. I may be doing something or an error and and really not that aware of it until your spirit brings it to light. See, that's part of the work of sanctification. He wasn't talking of great sins, but he was saying there might be flaws and imperfections that are keeping me from being more spiritual and seeing things better, okay? 
So we see Paul had the great revelations, and God gave him great grace for what he was doing, okay? And he was responsible for it, as he said, woe unto me if I don't preach and teach the gospel. A curse on me. He said, it's an obligation. I get rewarded, he said, one day for being faithful. But even if I don't want to do it, I have to do it anyway. So God makes it very plain. When he calls a person and they're in covenant, he's not asking them to do something. He's not giving them opportunity to vote on it. He says, you're mine. You're my servant. You're in covenant. You'll do what I tell you. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. So you have a different master. Okay. And so we see that they had hope, but not the hope of the law and the promises. They were special privileges. And that was whom the Son of God, the Messiah, would come through. Scripture says salvation is of the Jews. It came through a covenant people. And there were lots of wicked kings that Jesus was a descendant of. It didn't alter the fact that God's going to accomplish certain things in spite of an individual. There's certain plans God's going to bring about, and if man won't do it, he'll find a way to do it. The Messiah's going to come, and now we can say Jesus is going to come. doesn't matter what people do as individuals. He's still coming. And we need to understand that. But as far as individuals, they can be cut off from the covenant. They can be grafted in, as Paul teaches us. The ship is going to the haven. Whether you stay on the ship or not is your problem. The train is going into the resting place. You can stay on the train and get there, or you can get off the train. But it does not affect where the train is going. So we see that there's certain plans God's going to bring about. And the plan of salvation was initiated by God. Man had nothing to do with it. The only thing he has to do with it is submit to it. And he can refuse to submit to it. And the plan doesn't work for him. But it will for other people who accept the plan. That's what the scripture means. It says salvation was not by the will of man. Well, people go too far with that. The plan itself is not by the will of man, but whether salvation is going to work in redemption is up to man to repent and turn to the Lord. He's given the opportunity to accept the plan or reject the plan. And if he rejects it, again, there will be others. It's not going to alter the plan, okay? So people, even without the law, were not totally depraved or without hope. That's going too far. They had their conscience. They had examples. Nineveh is a good example. We've been using that recently. We see that God sent a Jewish prophet to tell the Ninevites, who were a very wicked people and hated the Israelites or Jews and were abusive to them. Well, he had to go and speak God's word, and he didn't like them. And he was hoping God would judge them and told the people through Jonah, 40 days, God's going to destroy Nineveh. And we see that they were not given any hope as the Jew was. When the Jews sinned against God and the nation, they were already given promises, if you repent, I'll lessen the punishment and forgive you. So they knew those promises. 
We hear it in the prayer of Solomon when he dedicates the temple. He said, if anybody comes and prays and seeks you, you'll hear them. And if they uh, repent, uh, you will forgive them. So that was the promise that God gave, especially to the Jewish people. And if a Gentile came to Israel and to the temple, he could come and pray, and God would accept his prayer if he was righteous, if he was repentant. See, so it shows us even back then, God is being gracious to everybody. And so we see none of them. God warns them. But they had no hope. Even in the prophecy that Jonah gave, God gave no condition. Where with the Jewish people, he often gave condition. Even if I judge you, I will take you up again when I've rewarded you according to your iniquities. He still gave them an altar of hope that he would eventually deal with them again. He would not cut the covenant off. He might cut the generation off. He did this at individuals. But the covenant to them would stand until it was abolished and fulfilled by Christ, until they broke the covenant, finally kept breaking over and over, until God finally said, enough's enough. You're always rebellious and stiff-necked, he told them. So they weren't special in themselves. They were special because God decided to do a work with them. So when people say today, Jesus, the Jews are chosen, they're not. If they don't accept Christ, they're cursed like any Gentile is. They have no standing with God. There is no fellowship of Christians and Jews. What fellowship have light with darkness? Don't elevate. The Bible is very plain in Proverbs. He said to call the wicked righteous and the righteous wicked is an abomination to God. So when these Christians go around and try to make the Jews a special people, they're saved in their way. No, they're not. Not until they turn to the Lord like Paul did and the apostles and others. They have no standing. As long as they reject Christ as their Savior and Messiah, they're enemies of God. But later we will see some will repent, a remnant. Not many, okay? So we see that God offered nothing, no hope. They were without hope according to the covenant, the Israeli covenant and the law of Moses. And what did he say to them? I'm going to destroy you because your sin is right. And the Gentiles, having no hope or no promise, they began to think this out. And they said, perhaps, maybe. And so he told them, and they didn't have nothing to go on. And they just started thinking, we are wicked people, and we believe it. They believed it because they heard the story, what happened to Jonah. See, that captivated them. That story didn't go untold. And we know this Jewish prophet hates us and wants us, and here he's coming anyway to tell us, now why would this God do this? if he were going to offer hope to us. So they began to reason this out in their own understanding, and they said, perhaps. So they repented that day. They started fasting. They made the animals fast. They weren't told whether God would even listen to them. But it shows you they did what they could in the light that they had, and they were a wicked Gentile people. But they tried to repent. They tried to make things right, and I said, perhaps he will be gracious to us. So they believed the God of Israel 
the covenant God was doing something because they saw Jonah uh, and they heard the story and they knew he didn't want to come to them. They knew that he hated them like they hated the Jews. So they sort of looked at this and said, this is sort of a miracle. This is odd. Something's going on. We better pay attention and try to do something if we can. But the Jews, on the other hand, were promised God's mercy and lesser promises if they repented. Jews were a nation singled out for God's special dealings and privileges, and it was not because they deserved it. God told them under Moses, you're not special in yourself. You have nothing in you I desire. I decided to be gracious. What did Paul say? God said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I'll harden whom I'll harden. So he can extend grace and privileges to anybody. That's his right. But woe be unto them if they don't respond properly. Then justice comes into play. You'll answer for a lot more if you don't respond to it. So grace does not cancel out justice and holiness. God works them together. He knows how to do this, okay? But he has the right as a king, as a judge, as God, to call people into account whenever he wants to. And he has the right to extend, be good and kind at times. As I say, Jesus, he's good and kind even to the evil and unthankful. How is he good and kind? He doesn't answer their prayers. The scripture says he doesn't. He extends mercy and long-suffering. And he decides, I won't strike them dead, which I could do at any moment for their evil. I will extend and give them time to consider. So that's his goodwill. That's the love of God toward the world. But it's not a covenant love, okay, which is different. What then, in verse 3 says, if some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? It's a rhetorical question. No. And the word did not believe in Hebrews, unbelief and disobedience go together. They're interchangeable. So when the scripture says the Israelites under Moses did not believe, you go back and search the story, they did not obey. They did not do what God told them to do. So they did not believe and trust in him after many examples. And that's what God got tired of. They'd been given enough signs and wonders and all of a sudden, they start acting like they never knew anything. So we see that they were, so if they disobeyed God, and if they fell away like many of the Jews did, and some generations were basically almost cut off completely. Remember, the children of Israel had to wander for 40 years because God got fed up with them. And he said, every person over 20 You'll drop dead in the wilderness. You'll not see the promised land because you didn't obey me. And as we said in the previous lesson, they missed it by one day. That shows you what can happen even to those who profess to be Christians and those who want to play with sin. A day can change things. They came back the next day and told Moses, oh, we've decided that we're going to go in and obey the Lord. And Moses said, don't do it because the offer doesn't apply anymore. Some did it, and they were killed for it. They were destroyed. They find it didn't work. Once God shut the door on the ark, it didn't matter if they believed later. He wasn't offering grace anymore. Once the master with the foolish virgin says, gets up, when he stands up, 
It means he's getting ready to act, and he closes the door. Then there's no more offer to the person. And the foolish virgins found this. Uh, they come knocking unprepared. Sleeping is a symbol of sin and disobedience of falling away in their spirit, losing their first love. And they come knocking, and he'd already closed the door. And they said, well, open to us. And he said, I don't know you. See, he, he didn't say, I never knew you, the, like he's going to say to most professing Christians that never been born again and regenerated. They just have mental ascent theology. Now, he says to them, I don't know you. But he did once know him. But what happened? It's like Paul said, if you don't abide in his goodness, he was talking about the church, the Gentiles, and the Lord. He said, if you don't abide in his goodness, you'll be cut off also. Well, that blows the theory of once saved, always saved, does it not? Okay. And so we see that if many generations through generations disobeyed, did not believe, well, God destroyed a whole generation for delayed obedience. Will it affect God's promises to Abraham, Moses, David? No. See, he made a general promise to the nation. I'm going to send the Messiah, whether you deserve him or not. I made promises. The first signs were with Adam and Eve and then through the patriarchs and then through the law and the prophets. You can do what you want to do, but I'm going to do this is what he's saying. I'm going to offer a plan that you can't formulate. You can accept it or reject it. That's all you can do. So the individual sinner could be cut off. It does not alter God's overall plan. Okay, Christ's ancestry, like we said, is traced through many uh, wicked kings. God can use wicked people, even demonic powers, to bring about his word and promises. Uh, he doesn't waste anything. While Satan moved the Jews to move the Romans to kill Christ, and then they try to blame the Romans. Well, anytime you talk to a Jew, well, we didn't kill Christ, the Romans did. Well, you're a liar and a hypocrite because you threatened Pilate that you were going to tell Caesar he wasn't a good king if you didn't punish him. So you're worse than, than Pilate was. Pilate tried to free Jesus, but for fear of the Jews, he washed his hands of the matter. He'd already been in trouble with Caesar. And he didn't want to go, and so he was willing to give in to the Jews for his own safety. And the Jews blackmailed him. See, they could not put to death a person without Roman permission. They were a province. They were under Roman control. But they sure made sure that the Romans killed Jesus. So it was, the root was from the Jewish people. Like Jesus said, you're a murderer. He said, like your father, the devil, you'll seek to kill me. See, he didn't blame the Gentiles outright. He knew they were deceived and wicked, but these were more wicked. He expected more from these people. And that's why he called them children of the devil. He said, you're not in covenant. You might be a Jew outward, but you're not a Jew inward, is what he was saying, as Paul was saying. So God has his plans, and there's no counsel or wisdom, the scripture says, against the Lord. When he's determined to do something, it doesn't depend on one individual other than himself, the Son of God. If he can't get a man to do something, he'll get another one if he's determined to do it. There is no wisdom or counsel 
against the Lord once he's planned to do certain things. So we see that while God did not desire in general, we cannot find it in Scripture, people get off on the predestination and foreknowledge. That is irrelevant to the individual. Whatever God sees or doesn't sees, it doesn't matter. But he sees the results of what man does. He doesn't make man do it. He can see the end from the beginning. And the responsibility is still laid on the man. So people need to stop being so intellectual and say, I can't understand certain things, so I'm going to live for the Lord. God knows the future and the past, but he's dealing with us in the eternal present. How you live today determines your destiny. Not because God's foreseen your destiny, because that's the consequences of sowing and reaping. Okay? So we see that not only God used wicked people when he made Adam and Eve, he desired them to obey him and not eat of the tree of knowledge. And like you say, uh, whether he had the plan in effect before or instantly, all that's irrelevant to us. They had a choice, and they were not forced to fall, and they were not tricked by God. They were tricked by the devil, is what happened. So yet, we'll see, yet by their fall, angels are taught wisdom through God's grace to the true church. God wastes nothing. Even angels did not see the full extent of God's holiness and grace until sin came about, because he didn't have to. We see God wastes nothing. Even the lake of fire at the final end for the most of the humanity will be eternal torment and punishment. And the Bible says that the smoke of that torment shall go up continually forever. See, outside the city of Jerusalem, that's where the lake of fire is going to be. And the angels and the Lord Jesus sees the smoke, and it reminds them of God's holiness and justice in dealing with sin and wickedness. And it's going to be forever. People don't like that. So much for a sentimental Jesus. Huh. Well, let's go to Revelations just quickly. Revelations chapter 14, 10 and 11. He himself shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength in the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, means continually, who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of the beast. That was one group of people that took the mark of the beast. But as we read further in Revelation, that's the end. All the wicked will be cast into the lake of fire, and it will be an eternal, everlasting punishment and anger and wrath from God. There will be no mercy, intercession, no good thoughts toward them as far as God is concerned. See, therefore, people should fear the Lord. Like I say, you don't want to get on the bad side. But see, today they've made God what he is not. They've made him a Santa Claus. They made him someone who forgives everything. Like the song says, he'll always forgive. That's not true. Once he shuts the door, there is no forgiveness altered. There is no grace and mercy. 
And so people need to study God's word and understand what he says about himself. That produces the fear of the Lord. And so the angels that did not fall, the two-thirds of them, for the first time, however many years or centuries or millennium they were made and existed, they'd never seen God's anger. They'd never seen his wrath. They'd never seen justice performed on the wicked because it wasn't needed. So there was something unique for them. They saw the consequences, but then they also saw uh, that God extended a grace that they couldn't have seen toward his enemies. And he decided to redeem those of mankind who would be redeemed. He didn't offer that to the devils because they had the full face of God. They had privileges. They knew God in a way that no humans ever known him. And so he didn't offer them anything when they fell. They sinned against the greatest light, even without a fallen nature or basic what we call temptation. They chose to do something. We don't understand that. And we see that God chose to respond. So the angels learn wisdom that God takes wicked people and redeems them and changes them and conforms them to the image of Christ. And one day when they make it to heaven, they'll be equal to the angels, Jesus said. They'll be equal to the angels. So they marvel at this. They want to look into these things. It fascinates them. So much for a sentimental excuse in Lord. He is the maker. Who is? Christ himself, as the word of God, made hell and the lake of fire. Well, hell's different. From, the lake of fire is the final end. Death and hell will be cast into it at the final judgment. And who made it? Jesus, the word of God, made it. He made it hellfire originally for the devil and his fallen angels. That was the purpose of it. And then when man came along and sinned and rebelled and wouldn't conform, he put them there. Okay, that was the place. But originally it was not made for man. You see, it was made for the devil and his angels. Okay, so verse 3 does say, will people's unbelief and disobedience said, will it alter the faithfulness of God. He says, no, I have a plan. I'm going to carry through with it. Now you get with the plan or you refuse to, but it ain't going to change the plan. That's what he's saying. There's no counsel against the Lord. His determination that he have a Messiah, a Christ, a Savior, and to come in the incarnation and take on the human form without sin, that was his plan. And nobody was going to stop that, okay? Not The devil tried in many ways, but even he could not figure out what was God doing. He motivated the Jews to murder Jesus, and yet he didn't understand it was his own damnation. When Jesus said, it's finished, Satan was judged. He knew then his eyes were open a little, and he saw. And the Bible says that the devil during the, period of tribulation or whatever. It says, knowing that his time is short. So he does have certain knowledge. He knew there was no hope now. When Christ overcame and fulfilled God's plan, that was the judgment of the devil. It just hadn't been carried out until he's cast into the lake of fire at the final end after the millennium period goes about.
Okay, so we see in 3-4, may it never be. No, may man not alter God's overall plans. It can't be. Rather, let God be found true, and every man be found a liar. And as he written, and again, he's quoting the old, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Okay, we see then what? He says, never will it be. He's true to his promises. Many can fall. Branches can be cut off. But the vine's going to live. The church is going to prevail. Well, people think he can talk about the outward church. You know, the true church, it only takes two or three people gathering. There will be two or three people when the Lord comes back. I hope a few more. But like he said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? Well, if it's going to be as a time of Noah and Lot, there's not going to be many. There's not going to be the great city on the hilltop. There's going to be candles, what we are seeing. There'll be very few at that time, okay? But there'll always be some. There'll always be those who were true, as there were always a remnant in Israel that were true to the covenant. Even when the Pharisees and the Sadducees were all hypocrites as a whole and false, they had individuals that were doing their best to honor the covenant, and God honored them. Okay, let's take a break now.